This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Two cards this week from the regular set. We have card number 726. Alfredo Griffin, shortstop for the Oakland Athletics. And from the traded set, we have card 43T. Alfredo Griffin, shortstop for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Good, especially after a week off, to knock two cards out and keep up our torrid pace of getting through all of these cards within our lifetimes, knock on wood. So why are we talking about Alfredo Griffin today? I think the last episode where we talked a lot about soccer was the Damaso Garcia episode, as he had been captain of the Dominican Republic soccer team. Another player mentioned in that because of the connection between those two players, another Dominican Republic player and Damaso Garcia's double play partner was Alfredo Griffin with the Toronto Blue Jays. We discussed his one weird all-star game appearance. He has two cards in the set, so always good to knock out those two. And he was generally, over an 18-year career, a replacement player. But in that career, he won a Rookie of the Year, three World Series rings. And what's not to like about a guy who had an 18-season career and three career wins above replacement? That is just what we like to hear. Plus, he has a Sabre bio by Justin Kruger, so thank you, Justin. That helps in the production quite a bit. So let's go to the front of card 726 from the main set. It's an interesting shot. We have a, another kind of hero shot where we're looking up at Alfredo Griffin. and he's, he's looking up. In fact, he's looking on, looking on upwards, skyward. What's he looking at? Is this like a close encounters of the third kind? Is there an alien ship? hovering over is this perhaps tiger stadium what's happening in detroit that day he's looking up he he looks concerned if there was a movie made of this card alfredo would be played by don Cheadle, a bearded don Cheadle. this it also looks like it was a cold day got the green undershirt that deep green of the a's really looks good the deep green undershirt's also good i like that the the white pants have a black belt and a real belt. Looks good, although it does kind of feel formal for baseball to have like a black belt with like a silver buckle. It's just, it's kind of strange compared to any other sports uniform. You know, you don't, you're not wearing that kind of accessory. So, yeah, it implies that you aren't going to be moving and bending down much, which a shortstop is required to do. That's going to get caught on something. That's not good. No, like if you dive on your stomach, like it, it, that could hurt you. You could impale yourself on the, the belt pin. In today's day and age where there's a lot of brown shoes and brown belt, do you think that we should see more of that in baseball? Cricket does this well, which is uniforms are almost all, all whites or all khaki. You know, that's your differentiation. You have to have the contrast on your TV turned way up to be able to tell who the heck is on offense or on defense. Although the guys on offense are also wearing giant masks and cages with a big flat wooden bat. Let's go to the back of 726. And here we have Alfredo Griffin, 5'11", weight 165, switch hitter and right-handed thrower, signed by Cleveland as a free agent in 1973, 
Born March 6, 1957 in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, with the homens on Pedro de Macariz, Dominican Republic. Matt, can you think of any famous Alfredos? I got a couple off the top of my head. The lean cuisine that my grandmother had in the freezer consistently when she lived in our home was a chicken fettuccine Alfredo. Probably the the top one that came to mind was Alfredo De Stefano, famous soccer player from the 50s and 60s. And I thought that Fredo Corleone would have been an Alfredo, but he's a Federico. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reminded of Freddie Gibbs in 2020 had a record called Alfredo, which was one of the best hip hop records of 2020. I couldn't think of a lot of other famous Alfredos. Alfredo Griffin, one of the top Alfredos, not quite lean, lean cuisine, but 5'11", 165, that's pretty lean. He was born in Santo Domingo, the largest city in the Dominican Republic. His father, Alberto, worked on the docks and was a musician at night. When he was a kid, there was civil unrest in the capital, so for safety, his mother moved her three kids closer to her family in Consuelo, a smaller city in the San Pedro de Macariz province. Consuelo is also the birthplace of another famous ball player, Sammy Sosa. Sosa is often listed as from San Pedro de Macariz, the city, because it was the largest city nearby. Alfredo was close with his uncle, Clemente Hart, who was a former cricket player. So fitting that you were talking about cricket earlier. But Clemente picked up baseball and played for the Estrella Orientales in the Dominican Winter League. And Clemente convinced Alfredo that he should play baseball for the local sugar mill team, Ingenio Consuelo. This team would produce some big leaguers, Rafael Santana, Rafael Ramirez, Julio Franco, and there were often MLB scouts around. One of those scouts saw a 15-year-old Alfredo playing second base. That was a scout named Reggie Otero, who was a Cuban scout for Cleveland. And he thought that Alfredo had good range and would make a good shortstop. And San Pedro de Macariz had a reputation for developing shortstops. And that scout, Reggie Otero, had played 14 games for the Cubs in 1945. And he scouted for Cleveland and the Dodgers into the 1980s. He passed away in 1988 at the age of 73. So Reggie signed Alfredo on August 22nd, 1973, a month and a half before his 16th birthday. That may be the earliest signing we've heard about so far. Alfredo started his pro career in the Gulf Coast League, played well in 49 games, and got promoted to A-ball at Reno. He hit 259 combined, no power at all. Of his 50 hits, one was a double. The rest were singles. And he had a little speed with 10 steals, but he was caught five times. Of course, he's 16 years old, so we'll see what he turns out to be, right? He spent 1975 at A-level in San Jose and started slow, hitting 080 early on. His coach there was Gomer Hodge. That's it. Gomer is not a name you hear very often these days. And Gomer suggested that he take the next at bat, Lefty, and... He slapped the ball and almost got a hit, and that began his career as a switch hitter. This is a distinctly 70s and 80s story where somebody just says, yeah, why don't you just try that? And somehow a guy (laughs) then has the time to become good enough to be a switch hitter in Major League Baseball. I feel like now with the amount of practice that goes into it, you're either picking that up way earlier than your teenage years, or you're not getting good enough at it to pick it up as as a pro. Yeah, if mom hasn't taken you to three years of switch hitting camp by age 10, you're not allowed to do it in Little League for fear of violating some kind of rule. 
But nothing like that was happening in the 70s. Alfredo would practice. He would keep the ball down, use his speed. He raised his average a bit to 229. He's 17 years old at this point. And David, you might think that, oh, well, he's got years to try to improve his skills in the minors before he's put on a big stage. But as it turned out in 1976, he played in every level of Cleveland's system. He went from San Jose, where he played for 64 games, up to AA Williamsport, where he hit 275 in 58 games, then to AAA Toledo, where he played 22 games. His numbers weren't super impressive there. He hits 216, slugs 318. Not a lot of power from Alfredo, but he got called up to Cleveland in September at only 18 years old. Before his first game, he said, I'm not excited, I'm not nervous, but I am very happy. His first three appearances were in late inning, pinch running, or fielding replacement roles. And he got a single in his first at bat as a sub in his fourth game. Played in 12 games total that year and went one for four. Griffin got September call-ups in 1977 and 1978 as well for 14 and five games, respectively. Lots of zeros and single digits uh, along the first three lines of this card. In 1978 at Portland in AAA, his offense really started to come together. He hit 291. He had five homers, which was more than he would ever have in a major league season. He had 10 triples, 35 steals. He even took 43 walks, also more than he would have in any major league season. He was a well-regarded prospect, but Cleveland was looking for pitching, and so they traded him along with their first-round pick, Phil Lansford, to Toronto for pitcher Victor Cruz. And Cruz was 20 years old, coming off a great rookie year where he went 7-3 and with a 1.71 ERA as a reliever. And Cruz was an interesting character. I looked to make sure that he wasn't in our set. On his non-pitching arm, he had a tattoo. And Matt, can you read this? Yeah, the phrase is, si no me quiere, por qué me calles? I would translate it as, if you don't like me, why are you following me? <laughs> but yeah, Victor Cruz seems to be an intriguing character. But Griffin and Cruz swap places. Griffin becomes a Blue Jay, and he slotted in as the starting shortstop, where he played almost every day for the next five seasons. He's expected to be a solid defensive shortstop, but light hitting. But in that first season, he impressed. He hit 287, which is only a 89 OPS plus, thanks to very little power. He had 179 hits, but most of them were singles, only 34 extra base hits. But 10 of those were triples. He also added in 21 steals, but he was caught 16 times. And he was one of the better players on a very bad 53-109 and 109 Jays team, valued at 2.5 wins above replacement, which was second best among Toronto position players. But that 1979 season didn't start out well. He was hitting 170 in the first month of the season. The Jays were in Texas, and hitting coach Bobby Doerr told him he had to improve or he was going back to the minors. So Alfredo asked for help. But the only problem was Dor didn't speak any Spanish, so Griffin had Rico Cardi serve as a translator, and the, the message got passed on that he needed to work on choking up on his bat. Having that extra tutoring kind of helped him on his confidence. He turned that season around. He was named American League Player of the Month for September, hitting 347 with six doubles, four triples, six RBIs, and five stolen bases. However, on defense, he committed a league-high 36 errors, which may be a bit deceptive because he had great range. So he was getting in range of a lot of balls that maybe other people wouldn't have. He finished in the top 10 in assists, 
and putouts as a shortstop regularly in his career. And that year, he had a defensive war of 1.4, which was among the best for American League shortstops. So, David, you had said at the beginning that he had a, a lifetime war of three, and this season he had a 2.5. So it's, maybe things are, are not going to get better from here. Yeah, there's some ups and downs coming. But again, he's got 14 more years coming. This was technically his fourth pro season, but he'd only played 31 games in Cleveland prior, so he still had rookie status going into his fourth season, and he got seven first-place votes for Rookie of the Year. That tied him with John Castino for first place, and they shared the American League Rookie of the Year award. So 1979, a strong start in that official rookie season. And in 1980, he was joined by his countryman, Damaso Garcia, at second base. But the Blue Jays are still really bad, losing 95 games. Griffin had the first of a few kind of rough years, He was worth an even zero wins above replacement. He was above average defensively, but on offense, he hit 254, stole 18, but was caught 23 times. (laughs) He did get some black ink on the back of his card. He led the league with 15 triples, still not enough to get his OPS to a respectable level. 69 OPS plus, not good. But as we saw in the Damaso Garcia episode, Low on-base percentage was really not out of the question for a starting infielder in the 1980s. And we also have heard the phrase many times, you don't walk off the island. So it's not a lot of, not drawing a lot of walks and taking a lot of chances on the base paths. Overall, Griffin was replacement level in 1980, but in 1981, he was even worse. Negative two war in the shortened season with a 209 average, 243 on base, and 289 slugging, which is an OPS of 49. One of the worst we've seen on the show so far. 1982 and 83, there's more black ink in that he played every game. So he tied for the league lead in games played, but was still replacement level both seasons. Good defensively, bad at the plate. Combined those two seasons, he hit 246 with a 279 on base percentage. And over those two seasons, only hit five home runs combined. He was caught stealing more than he was successful 18 steals and 19 caught. But there were intangibles. And this is something we've talked about, I think, in the Jerry Royster episode when we were talking about what a replacement player is. Sure, he played solid defense, batted often ninth in the lineup, not a great hitter, but he was a positive influence in the clubhouse and management, and his teammates praised his character. As Toronto is bringing in other guys from the Dominican Republic, like Garcia and George Bell, Griffin is there to serve as a role model with his attitude and work ethic, and Toronto journalists around this time were wondering about a young player in AAA who might provide more offensive firepower Another shortstop from San Pedro de Macariz, Tony Fernandez. So there's these articles where fans and teammates are talking about how great Griffin is to have on the team and how he's a sentimental favorite among fans. And even Garth Orge said Griffin was so valuable in his defense and leadership that, quote, everything he hits is gravy. Even if he's only hitting 209, he's so important to the team. A pretty big statement about Griffin as a teammate and as a character. Meanwhile, Tony Fernandez has multiple seasons hitting 300 at AAA, just waiting for a chance to get called up to Toronto. Finally, he does at the end of 1983. He and Griffin split time in 1984, 
and Griffin's line in 1984 shows both a decline in playing time and in quality. Yeah, that average declines to 241, only four home runs, OPS plus of only 48, 14 extra base hits, only two triples, really nothing clicking. He was valued at negative 1.54, which obviously means he was an all-star. The greatest way to make an all-star team, just be a nice guy and your friend and double play partner will invite you. We talked about Uh, how... Yes, I remember. (laughs) How and why. We talked about how this happened in the Damaso Garcia episode. His fellow Dominican, Damaso, says he's got a plus one to all-star weekend. Both of their wives, both Griffin and Garcia's wives, went to the Dominican Republic for a few weeks. Garcia said, I had an extra ticket. I told him, hey, compadre, why don't you keep me company? I think the Blue Jays were also set to start the second half of the season in Oakland. So Griffin gets there a little bit early, and he had some good luck. Alan Trammell had to pull out of the game with an injury, so Griffin is already in San Francisco, and he gets a call. He said he's sitting in the hotel room watching TV, and he got called, asked if he wanted to play. Joe Altabelli, who was the coach of that All-Star team, said he picked Griffin partly because he's a fine player, but mostly because he was here. Griffin ends up getting subbed in, plays a couple innings, but doesn't get in that bat. And he's sometimes listed on the worst all-star lists. Not his fault. He just happened to be there, and he got a call. So why wouldn't you show up to play in an all-star game? That's right. Always travel prepared. You never know. And so while Griffin was having a rough year in 1984, Tony Fernandez was on the upswing. He was young. He hit 270. He had 88 appearances. He played solid defense, and he showed that he belonged there. The Blue Jays decided to make the obvious move in December. Griffin was traded to Oakland with Dave Collins and Cash for reliever Bill Caudill. Griffin had enjoyed his time in Toronto, even at the old Exhibition Stadium. He said, everybody said it was a bad place to play baseball, but I was a happy man playing at Exhibition Stadium every day. It gave me my future. It secured the future for my family. I made my living out of the place, so I've got nothing bad to say about the old place. Yep, but he was off to a new place, and that was Oakland, where he had the best three-year stretch of his career. He played every game of 1985 and 1986. Those were both sub-500 seasons for the A's, but very positive ones for Alfredo personally. During his time in Oakland, he had a 273 average, well above his career average of 249. He averaged six triples and 58 RBIs and 28 steals per season in Oakland, won the gold glove in 1985, and in 1986, he had a 285 average and a career-high 33 steals. He was caught 16 times, so above 50% in completion, which is great for him, and that year was valued at 3.4 wins above replacement, the best of his career. And the A's really appreciated him. General Manager Sandy Alderson called him the glue that held us together. And just like same kinds of comments as we heard about Griffin in Toronto. But just like in Toronto, there was an up-and-coming shortstop that threatened to make Griffin expendable. This time, it was a guy named Walt Weiss. Walt Weiss has come up as the villain of two episodes. I think in the Jody Reed episode, stealing Jody Reed's well-deserved American League Rookie of the Year. This time, coming up, pushing Alfredo Griffin out of his starting role in Oakland. But that gets us our second card. That's right. Thanks to Walt Weiss, we get card 43T from the 1988 Tops traded set. Alfredo Griffin, this looks like a totally different guy. 
You look at the front of the card. He's got a Dodgers hat. Looks legit. Doesn't look like a painted cap that I can tell. But he's shaved his beard. He has just a mustache and maybe a bit of a flavor saver underneath. He's got a gold chain. This is a really good portrait shot, although he's not looking at the camera. He's also looking on to the side instead of above. Not a lot notable about this. Good-looking Dodgers hat. Nice chain. Went from a beard to a mustache. Cleaned up a little bit for Hollywood. But if we go to the back of the card, there should be a This Way to the Clubhouse to tell us why this card exists, and there is not. And that's because there's a lot going on here. This was a three-team trade. Griffin and Jay Howell go to L.A. Bob Welch and Matt Young go from L.A. to Oakland. The Mets send Jesse Orozco to the Dodgers. L.A. sends pitcher Jack Savage to the Mets. And Oakland sends Kevin Tappany and Wally Whitehurst to the Mets. So a lot of players moving between three teams. And Tommy Lasorda is excited because he hasn't had a regular shortstop for a while. He said, I haven't seen him that much, but I hear he's a hell of a player. I looked over at his record, and he's played all 162 games four times and more than 140 the other two. That's something we haven't had. In 1987, no Dodger shortstop played more than 67 games. In 86, Mariano Duncan played 109 games. So they really needed a solid guy to just show up every day. And, of course, Tommy throws in a little bit of fun quote here. He says, this guy here, I'm telling you, plays baseball like my wife shops all day long. I haven't had a Lasorda-ism in a while, so it's good to hear that. 1988 season, Alfredo starts the first 38 games. Wasn't hitting very well, only 167. And then on May 21st, oh, Tommy's dreams of a 162-game shortstop are dashed as Alfredo Griffin is hit by a Dwight Gooden fastball right on his hand. Broke his hand, he missed 59 games, and came back in July. He was slightly better at the plate when he came back, raising his average to a buck 99 by the season's end, and was still an above-average shortstop defensively, but certainly below-average offensively. Despite that weak bat, the Dodgers didn't have a better option in the playoffs. And for that National League Championship Series against the Mets, Griffin played every single game going four for 25 and played seven errorless games at short. In the second inning of game seven, up one to nothing with runners on first and second and nobody out, Griffin puts down a bunt and he beats the throw, loads the bases. Oral Hershiser comes up next, reaches on an error, and that scores a run. Next up, Steve Sachs singles, scores two more runs, including Alfredo, to go up 4 to nothing. The Dodgers win 6 to nothing behind an Oral Hershiser five-hit shutout, and they make it to the World Series. So while he went 4 for 25, they weren't expecting a big bat from Alfredo. He got an important single in one of those that was uh, vital to moving them along in the playoffs. In the World Series, he started... All five games, and while he only hit 188, he played well defensively. He did have one error in game four that did not lead to a run, but otherwise was strong in the field. And in that game four, he also scored the fourth run to put the Dodgers up 4-2. They would win 4-3. to After winning the World Series, Alfredo called the victory the most special moment in his career, and he signed a three-year extension. Yeah, interesting for a guy who hit under 200, who didn't really hit in the playoffs. But 
again, I think the teams just liked having Alfredo around. Getting a three-year extension as you are getting into your 30s, you know, good for you, Alfredo. 1989, he's okay. Hits 247, career-high 27 doubles. But 1990, he was terrible. 210 average, 258 on base. Somehow his slugging was below his on base. 254 <laughs> slugging for a 44 OPS plus. He was worth minus 2.3 wins above replacement. And this was really the, the last time that he played full-time at shortstop. In his final year of his contract, he played 109 games, hit slightly better. Also in 1991, had a, a very odd incident in a game against the Mets on July 30th. Griffin came up in the seventh inning against Alejandro Pena, and Griffin took a walk, which was unusual for him. He only had 22 that season. As he walked to first base, he decided he was going to keep going to second. I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) I mean, I guess you can if they don't throw you out. He said he knew that Pena was slow and, quote, goes to sleep a lot. (laughs) And he saw the infielders standing around, so he just took off. And Tommy Lasorda said, it's a great play if you make it, even though I don't think I've ever seen anybody try it before. And, well, he didn't make it. (laughs) Pena was able to turn around and throw him out at second. The Dodgers still won the game, but it is just a sign of Alfredo, the adventurous base runner. Alfredo added in there that he still thought that he could have made it, but Gary Templeton, who was a shortstop, was already moving towards second base because of a double play opportunity. And so because he was moving, Pena was able to throw him out. But, you know, Alfredo still, even after the game, even though it didn't work, he was trying to get something moving. Dodgers still won the game, but, you know, he's a adventurous fellow. He was a free agent at the end of 1991, and he went back to Toronto. 1992 and 1993 were great years for the team, and Alfredo was a veteran leader in the clubhouse. He didn't play too much, but maybe they didn't mind that. He only played 109 games in two years, hit 225 with no home runs and an OPS plus of 44. But in 1992, he had a notable strikeout. This is a weird one. September 27th, the Blue Jays are in first place. It's late in the season. They need a win. They're playing against the Yankees, and they have a 9-0 lead. And it starts raining. They need to finish the fifth inning so that the game can be called and be official. They also know if they get the win, Jack Morris gets his 20th win. So in the top of the fifth, Alfredo comes up to bat. And MLB has called this the weirdest strikeout in MLB history. This is a great strikeout because the first pitch is well in the dirt and Alfredo just swings at it, doesn't care. Second pitch is outside, but he fouls the ball off anyway. And then Strike three is a thing of beauty. I don't know if this was an EFIS pitch that got away. If the ball was wet, the ball goes a good 10 feet above the plate, five feet outside. And Alfredo swings anyways, just about falls down, and then just walks back to the dugout. The MLB article said it looked like he, he's, he swings like he's blindfolded. It reminds me of someone hitting a pinata who's got the blindfold, and they're just swinging. They're like, no idea where they are because they've been, they're dizzy. The ball was so far away from the plate, it was out of view of the camera. That also reminds me of like when Bugs Bunny in the baseball Bugs, where guys strike out all three strikes on one pitch. It looks like Alfredo (laughs) almost 
made a two full rotations here, the bat crossing the, the plane of the plate twice. Pretty great. You know, he's just trying to finish the game off. But then the rain lets up. And so they have to keep playing the game. They play the full game, and the Blue Jays won 12-2. to Morris gets his 20th win. The Blue Jays end up winning the AL East, regardless of Alfredo's outrageous strikeout. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of like great highlights from Alfredo Griffin's career. Not too many, but 1992 and 1993 were the World Series years for the Blue Jays, and he's on those teams. He got on the field in both series, but really only as a defensive replacement and did not get an at bat but he was on deck when joe carter hit the ninth inning game six home run off of mitch williams to win the 1993 world series joe carter probably got a great pitch to hit because they were afraid of facing alfredo those two world series rings closed the book on alfredo griffin's career so final line 18 seasons 1962 games played in the major leagues Batting average 249, 285 on base percentage, 319 slugging, OPS plus of 67. He had 78 triples in his career and 24 home runs. And for stealing bases, 192 successful, 134 caught stealing. That is the six most times caught stealing among players with 250 or fewer stolen bases. And he is 47th all time in caught stealing. He was on the leaderboards five times for triples, leading the league in 1980, and was often in the top 10 in sacrifice hits and games played. He led the American League in errors three times, but is 34th all-time in shortstop putouts, 31st in double plays, and 45th in shortstop assists. Was the Rookie of the Year in the American League, made one All-Star game, thanks to showing up, and one gold glove and three World Series rings. How about in retirement? Alfredo went into coaching. Initially as a Blue Jays minor league instructor, and then as their first base coach in 1996 and 97. He went on to coach with the Angels from 2000 to 2018, where he served as first base coach, helping the team win the 2002 World Series and advance to the postseason seven times. He made some very nice plays as the first base coach as well, so his hand-eye coordination is still there. Some good videos of him making some grabs both in the dugout and at first base, barehanded catching some bouncing balls to him. He retired at the same time as manager Mike Sosha, who had been his teammate as a player with the Dodgers. In retirement, he also was a manager for the team that his uncle, Clemente Hart, played for, Estrella Orientales. And he managed that team in the Dominican Winter League, and his number is retired for that team. So a lot of respect shown to him in his home country. He also served as a coach for the Dominican Republic in the 2009, 13, and 2017 World Baseball Classics, and that includes the 2013 World Baseball Classic championship winning Dominican Republic team. So Alfredo was part of that as well. So here's a guy that teammates and fans really seem to love, although he was a replacement player. But now that we've looked at him a little bit more, what do we think? There are 495 players in baseball history with 6,000 or more at-bats. Alfredo Griffin has the lowest wins above replacement of those players. 3.0 career <laughs> wins above replacement. Defensively, from 1979 to 1993, Alfredo was valued at 9.7 defensive war, which was 11th best among shortstops over that stretch. But there was something about him. There was intangibles. There was leadership qualities that kept him on a team. You don't just end up on a team for 18 years and good teams. He ended up on three World Series champ teams, 
and played a key role at, at the very least with the Dodgers in 88, then later was more of a sub for the Blue Jays when they finally got their rings. Dodgers coach Bill Russell said, Griffin just never makes a mistake. The pitchers see that and the infielders see that, and everyone goes about their job more calmly. So both in the clubhouse, on the field, he's a calming presence. And through his career, although he's a light-hitting, good-fielding guy, he's a clubhouse guy. And he's a guy that both young players like to have on the team and other veterans like to have on the team. After the 1993 championship, the Blue Jays have their celebration at the Sky Dome. Players are called up one by one, and Alfredo is called up. And he's called up to address the crowd with young Willie Canade. I don't remember Willie Canade at all. But these two, this guy who's been in the league for 18 years, goes up there with Willie Canade, who didn't really speak any English at all. And Alfredo serves as a translator for the youngster, and speaks to the crowd, both telling them what Willie's saying and then giving his own gratitude to the crowd. And he served as a role model for that young player, a theme of his career, and then later a theme in his retirement as a coach, um, helping young players both on the Angels as well as, uh, as in Dominican Winter League. And particularly for young Latin American players, Alfredo served as a role model. He was also a fan favorite in Toronto. Like some of the other players we've discussed from the Blue Jays team in this set, he was there in the bad times. But then he was able to come back and be there at the height of the Blue Jays' powers in the early 90s. And after he retired in the spring of 1994, he was introduced at opening day as the Blue Jays received their World Series rings, and the fans at the Sky Dome reserved their loudest cheers for Joe Carter, Robbie Alomar, and Alfredo Griffin. Blue Jays fans appreciated his longtime service, and knowing that he went out and went out on top as a back-to-back champ was a big thing for Toronto Blue Jays fans. Yeah, when multiple people and multiple teams say he was a glue guy, he was the guy that keeps the team together, there's really something there, and it's something to really admire in baseball, but with any team sport, there's something about leadership and certain qualities that make people be the ones that everyone else trusts. So it really does sound like Alfredo was that player. Really interesting story. So thank you, David. That was great to hear. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever made the All-Star Game just because you happen to be in town, we'd love to hear all about it. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. 